Welcome to Curito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, my guest today is Davina Ho, a founder of Inhabit Meditation, who has a vision to create silent spaces for stressed out city dwellers in urban environments. Davina works with clients and companies who, on issues from burnout and stress, as well as trauma, sleep issues, depression, and anxiety. Oh gosh, that's like everyone, including myself. So I've known Davina for over a year now when she was based out in Singapore uh, and recently moved out to Philadelphia. We actually first met through a corporate job collaboration, FinTech to be exact. Uh, We immediately connected with our interest in yoga, wellness, and meditation. Davina kindly invited me to be a guest on her podcast uh, last year. I later did a Q&A interview with her. And now a year later, with lots of changes from uh, both of us uh, in our lives, are here to converse again about Davina's journey of discovering meditation and how her world flipped 180 uh, once she discovered this and how she applies it to her offerings, both online and in person. Uh, But before we start talking about meditation, there is a reason uh, how Davina discovered meditation. (laughs) So I'm going to let Davina kind of dive more into that conversation of her beginnings and how that led to where she is today. Yeah, uh, thanks for that, Jen. So uh, I think uh, like everybody who is pushed towards seeking something uh, is that you kind of go through something personal in your life where you need uh, support, you need tools, and we're not given those tools or support when you know, we're at school, or maybe if you didn't come from the right type of family where you were given kind of emotional support, then you didn't have these tools as a grown-up. So if I look back, I used to I used to work in finance, I still do, but I used to work in the city of London, I should say. Uh, and uh, one day I was uh, at work and I got a call, um, you know, from my brother that my dad had just passed away. He was young as well. He wasn't very old. And um, I guess I had never really dealt with grief before. Um, And I guess that moved me towards trying to seek solutions uh, to my own mental health issues. Um, I grew up in a family with mental health and mental illness um, as well. And that hadn't really been addressed in my own adult life. And I think when my dad passed away, and this is well over 10 years ago now, um, it gave me that uh, kind of push to go and look after myself and my own mental health and well-being. And that pushed me down the path of uh, searching for something. And uh, somebody mentioned to me, and this is quite woo-woo in those days, especially in the city of London, where people are very focused at their work. Um, They said, meditation, go and try meditation. So I was like, okay, why not? And I went to, uh, I signed up myself up for a four-week class in Um, some dingy kind of room full of like I don't know 20 people sitting on chairs also equally stressed or anxious and depressed or going through some emotional trauma that they're going through and uh, I sat in this chair looking at this guy who's like just close your eyes and breathe 
And all I could feel was all this, these really difficult emotions coming up that were, um, you know, grief and dark clouds and, you know, also things like, what you know, I should check in my what, uh, not my WhatsApp, and those days it was BlackBerry. I should check my BlackBerry. This is how long ago it was. I should check my BlackBerry for all the emails that I get from my clients, you know, because I should rep- reply to them instantly. And I definitely didn't find it a peaceful experience at all. I actually hated it. And I tried similarly with a yoga class in London. Again, this uh, kind of airy fairy teacher came in and she sat down and was like, just relax and breathe and let all the stresses of the day dissolve. And internally, my internal voice was like screaming at her. I was like, you have no idea what I've been through today. you know. And it was really one of those um, kind of things where I was like, meditation and yoga, I don't think they're for me. Uh, and so that started my kind of journey, which is ironic given I'm a meditation teacher now all these years later. But that was my first experience of, of meditation. Yeah, I was going to say that I felt like what you just described there is very relatable to a lot of people who kind of, you know, like kind of like what you said in that state of mind when you're when you're frustrated with everything going around you in your life and you're very stressed out or you just can't really figure out how to get out of this hamster wheel you're in uh, and dealing with your emotions. And like you said, especially now, that's not woo anymore, right? Now it's like everyone's into self-care and everyone's into this, you know, go do meditation, go do yoga. It's good for you. Uh, breathe. That when people suggest that, a lot of newbies who do say, okay, I'm open to the idea. I will go try it out. A lot of them do get turned off by it for those reasons you just described, right? So for you, how long, how, you know, how did you stick it out, I guess, right? And of course, teachers make a big difference. You know, how, like you said, the one lady who said, okay, guys, just breathe, you know, and you're like, what? You know, the vibration didn't match clearly. So what would, you know, what would you say to people who are, who are, willing to try, you know, and and this is the same with like seeking therapists. It's like people have to shop around for the right, you know, right mentor, right teachers or right therapists that can really kind of, that they can click with to really guide them in that process. Right. So you did a four week class at the time. And at what point of like not giving up and continue to try this, that you found, you know, your, your, your niche, so to speak. Well, I did go the second time and I didn't finish the four-week course, so I should admit that now. (laughs) I I gave up, right? I gave up. But what made me go back uh, to meditation, not that course, but go back to exploring meditation is that it worked. It worked for other people. I saw it working for other people. um, And I was like, if it's helping other people, there must be something in it. I need to, like you said, try it out, try different and methods and tools to to get to a space where I can meditate. So that journey actually took about five years um, to being being in a space where I could maybe meditate for about 20 minutes on my own without any guidance. That's a long time. Five years is a long time. And if I knew what I knew now about meditation and being a meditation teacher, I certainly 
don't I tell my clients, by the way, it's going to take you five years to get there. <laughs> I, I have found different tools, different techniques, different methods along the way that have, can definitely support you on a much faster journey than, than my own kind of searching journey, which took, you know, a very long, long time for me to, to get to that space of just like, not even deep, but just maybe slightly inner peace <laughs> now and again, when I would get to the meditation cushion for that, those 20 minutes. So just going back to earlier where you mentioned what brought you to that meditation, that first meditation class, how did you, through this process, kind of work out your emotions and grief? Was it primarily just through meditation or, you know, did you get to talk to your mom and and brother more about, you know, in terms of healing, right? In terms of understanding what was, you mentioned earlier, growing up in an environment like that, and your, your father suddenly passing, um, how did you deal with grief? Yeah, and that's a great question. Grief is a very complex emotion. And, um, you know, uh, as I said at the start, I didn't have a family where grief was something that you could express or anything. I wasn't given any tools to be able to deal with an emotion as big as that. And there was a lot of underlying childhood trauma that got brought up as well from, from my dad passing away. Um, like I said, I grew up in quite a, a difficult environment uh, uh, surrounded by mental illness. And so I had very mixed reactions to my dad's death. And I think bringing that up to my mom and brother, who were also going through different reactions as well, you know, it wasn't a safe space for me to say certain things, to express my emotions, to um, uh, heal, right? That was not a healing environment. So um, luckily I worked at a company who offered counseling and therapy, you know, as part of their grief, you know, well-being benefits to to grief. And I I started that process of of having therapy um, with a, a, a trained therapist. And that was helpful in some ways, but also opened the bucket for much, much more deep uh, issues inside that I didn't realize I had. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. I, I think that's so great that the company used to work for Offerset. And I think that's an important message to send out as well, that companies, if they can afford to support their employees in this regards, is quite important as well, right? Because like you said, you didn't have the tools but your company was able to provide you yeah. certain tools to be able to work through this, right? Um, and I think with many individuals, a lot of times is, yeah, when you don't have the tools, where do you find the tools, right? And, and where do you find that community that can hold that space for you? Uh, and I wanted to ask that because you mentioned, you know, then going into therapy. So was that also something at the time that you were like, didn't want to see a therapist or right you right because you know again when you tell people I think you should see a therapist right um and if people don't know you're you're half Asian right we forgot to mention that so uh, not not to say that this is the case across the board but therapy in Asia I feel you know even here in Taiwan is not something people uh, so outwardly say, I'm going to go see my therapist. I felt like when I saw my therapist and, and went to the States and was sharing with my friends, they were like, oh yeah, I see my therapist like a workout. Like, you know, like I, I go see my therapist on a weekly basis. Whereas here people look at you and they go, 
are you okay? Like, are, are you okay? Are you, are you, are you on, on, you know, are you on medication? You know? And I'm like, no, like I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. But you know, therapy does work. Right. But I, so I, can you share a little bit about that as well? Yeah. The therapy and, part. Yeah. So I, I've seen uh, two therapists, one in London, one in Singapore, and uh, they were both different. Like you said, you have to shop around for your yoga teacher, you shop around for your therapist, you shop around for people that resonate with you. I find that the therapy in London basically just touched the surface. Um, therapy can go very, very deep to very deep rooted issues, right? That come from childhood um, and really brings all of your unconscious right up into the world, right? The shadow side. Um, and I found that the what the therapy did in London was that it opened up Pandora's box, but didn't quite resolve any of the issues, right? Um, you kind of open that box and you know there are issues. And actually, I think I would say it caused more issues in my life. Once you kind of open it, you can't push all those kind of unconscious shadow side parts of yourself away. And suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, I came here to get help. And why am I crying my eyes out after every session? And I feel like I've been like, you know, through this awful draining experience where I can barely talk to anyone for, for two days afterwards, right? It's really, really difficult. And, and I think that's what most people don't understand is how, how, how therapy actually works, right? You kind of go with that judgment of uh, the psychologist is sitting in front of me or a therapist, she's going to fix everything, right? I'm going to come out of here bouncing around, <laughs> really happy, but actually you come out feeling worse a lot of the times uh, because you're processing and you're working through things and you're trying to understand yourself better and your past and your history and you're pulling all the threads together and to to really have, I guess, deeper awareness of who you are, right? And and what shaped you in your past. So, um, yeah, so that opened up Pandora's box. And then I moved to Singapore. I worked with an executive coach as well, actually, um, when I was in Singapore. And she's actually the person who got me more excited about the yoga and meditation aspect of uh, my life right and how how you can do the you can have the intellectual um you know coaching right professional coaching and you can have the therapy works which is also quite left brain although there's some right brain parts to it but then the yoga and meditation aspects is really that diving deep into the body the somatics of trauma right and what you've been through and and giving yourself empowerment, right, to work through the issues and feel the pain that is, is coming up for you. And I felt like it wasn't until I moved to Singapore that I managed to kind of integrate that left and right brain part of, and the body, the mind-body part as well, right, of, of, of fully integrating all of the things that were coming up for me when I was living in London. I want to dig a little deeper here uh, by asking you if you could just share some some like examples for your you know your personal experience when so you you mentioned you know opening that Pandora box could you share with us just some some little examples we don't have to go too too deep I don't want you to get all emotional here either uh, but you you know this is a while back now so you've definitely worked it out walk us through that process of how you were able to sort it out you know, and then how meditation really keeps keeps you grounded in that process. 
yeah, yeah. And that's a good question. And I think one of the um, things that you realize is that you have a lot of anger and resentment maybe against your parents. And I'm sure that resonates deeply with, uh, with many listeners yourself, right? And they may not have showed up for you in your life as you expected them to, right? Um, you know, I had alcoholism, for example, in my family. And, and that's a very traumatic experience growing up around that. And it's one of those things where nobody else is inside your family. Only you know, maybe my brother as well, right? Because he grew up around it as well. But only you and your family know, right? The external world don't know. And trying to express a lot of the habits and behaviors you have because of what you grew up around, maybe is you don't see that as a blind spot, right? Let's say, right? But, you know, the reason I needed to work so hard and I was pressuring myself to work so hard and burning myself out all the time was because when I was 11 years old, I unraveled the fact that I realized if I don't work really, really hard, I am not going to get out of this family, right? This, 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 the situation that I'm in. So I'm always going to have to work hard in order to get somewhere to the point that, you know, my needs and my self-care and my well-being don't matter. And it's these things that you unravel actually in therapy um, when you go, go, go there, right? And that's just one example. It goes very, very deep, like I said at the start, right? So you unravel all these kind of beliefs that you have about yourself and you find out where they come from. Um, and then, you know, you, you work through them. And what I found, and you asked about the yoga meditation part, um, I definitely started with yoga first, is that when these emotions were coming up and these insights, there was a lot of pain. And it's very, very difficult for us to deal with pain, you know, especially if you didn't have a role model who dealt with their pain very well, they might have dealt with their pain by uh, drinking a lot more um, alcohol, right? For example, in my case, in my family, and there's lots of examples of people uh, dealing with their pain in really awful ways, right? But they, we haven't got the tools to cope. And what I found with yoga during that period of time was that it gave me the control to work through my pain. I still had to feel all of it. No psychologist, no yoga teacher, no therapist, nobody can feel your pain for you. You have to feel your pain, but you also need to do it in a way that feels okay for the body, that the body feels like it can still operate, it can sit through this and know that it's gonna be okay. And that's where the, the yoga part of the yoga journey. That, that's very interesting that you, you brought the pain and yoga, like put it in the same sentence. Uh, I want it, I, I want you to elaborate a little bit on that because I feel like some people might not quite understand mm -hmm. what you mean by like, what do you mean I'm going to a yoga class and I'm supposed to experience pain? Uh, you know, and, I, and, I, and the, when you were saying that, I was just thinking, you know, a lot of times certain yoga classes uh, and, and some people experience this, right? Where whether it's a yin class or just, you know, a, a vinyasa flow that, like you said, certain chakras open up and you do end up tearing right like you get very emotional and you're crying in class and you're like why am I sitting here in like Supta Baddha Konasana and I'm crying right like you're just and I'm on the floor and this is very weird I'm feeling all these emotions is that the kind of physical aspect you're referring to regarding to pain when you're in a yoga class for instance yeah it can be through 
um, two ways. Like this is how you can look at it, right? One is your, you know, your example, and that's happened to me. And I'm sure it's happened to you many times in yoga as well. Is that it? It just arises as if out of nowhere, ready to be integrated. This kind of emotional tearing happens and then you kind of feel better afterwards right you do feel better after that right you're like maybe a little bit drained but you're like oh I feel like I just cleared some karmic I don't know something from me right but you're maybe not conscious of what exactly that is right maybe it just was stored in the head and it's just gone now right so hopefully it's gone for good right or there's managing what I was talking about earlier was dealing with all of these difficult emotions that were coming up for me in um, therapy um, and using yoga as a way to ground and center myself again so you can use it consciously to manage um, you know what you're going through and what you you know um, dealing with on the surface it's, and, and I guess it's no different if, if people don't really understand it it's no different from being super stressed at work right stress is an emotion being ah like I'm so stressed out and going to your yoga class right to feel better it, it, it's, it's a bit like that yeah that's that's a I, I, that's a really great way to summarize that that the two different emo, like emotional side and the physical side and integrating all that uh, through a yoga practice and how some individuals do experience this, um, but it does take time. So you said five years for your meditation. I think my own yoga practice probably I don't know you know I've been doing it on and off for over a decade right but I would say that I really hit that point maybe the last three years so it takes time you really have to be patient with this practice uh I want to then lead this conversation uh thank you again for sharing the 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 early stages of your process but I I wanted to integrate now into the, the work you do right so you are part-time uh, still working for the fintech company out in Singapore, but you primarily, all your free time, you focus on Inhabit, yeah. Well, for, again, for people who don't know, Davina has gone through several changes, right? You had Hasiko, like there are several changes of different uh, branding and companies you you started uh, working with meditation and yoga. But um, what I wanted to say was how do you approach your clients now that you have the tools and now you, you know, you've gone through that journey yourself and you, you, you know, as an individual who's gone through it, how do you work with your different clients, whether it's corporates or individuals? Um, and I'm going to give you one example and you can reiterate on it is like individuals who are so high wired, you know, like they're just so like, they're so wired and you're, and you, and they know, and you know, too, that they need to just, relax. But because they're so wired that there's so many layers, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a while, right? It's not like four weeks, it's, it's maybe a year or two. But how do you get them, if they have that intention coming to seek you for, for consultation and to work with you? How do you start? You know, that's, I feel like step one is that starting conversation, right? How do you get them to just do two minutes of meditation a day or, you know, eat right, try to sleep more, you know, don't look at your phone, you know, stop answering emails for those kind of individuals, high anxiety. Yeah. It's really multidimensional actually, um, because those types of clients are quite, uh, they come to you with uh, different issues every week. (laughs) Like they might not have slept the night before or they might be having high anxiety that day, or maybe they're feeling like slightly burned out because of the stress and, 
they're going through. And so actually every time they come and see me, it's almost like a different issue. But what I've noticed is that they are also generally, uh, my clients are also going through something that are, that's slightly more um, deep than just like work burnout or work stress, right? They're carrying much more into the room to meet me than they, than they realize. They're maybe not conscious of it, right? They're carrying grief or they're carrying relationship difficulties, you know, um, marriage difficulties. Um, they're carrying, you know, elderly parents, uh, you know, like, you know, moving towards that end of life stage when they're finding that difficult. I, I find that it's much more than just the, the workplace stress, but they come with that, hi, I'm just feeling a bit stressed at work. And, you know, that's their whole mantra, right? Like, oh, I'm just stressed at work. And then you dig a bit deeper and the layers begin to come off. So um, generally how I support them is really through um, trying to get their nervous system to downplay, right? So all of these people have a very overactive nervous system. They're super wired, like you would say that, um, but it's basically that their sympathetic nervous system is like, like on overdrive. They probably have adrenal fatigue and so many other health issues. And generally that's what I ask them. I ask them, you know, what other health issues are you seeing? How's your sleep at night? How's your digestion doing? Like, what's your physical activity like? How are your days run? And I get a very good picture on what's going on in their life through these kind of small questions and interactions. And it's not like I sit there with a box, like ticking things. It's more through a, an open dialogue. And then um, generally most clients think they're coming to see me for meditation. They think that yoga and meditation are separate. They don't understand that the whole philosophy of yoga includes meditation, right? It's all one and the same thing. It's just a pathway that they're going through. And I try and explain to them that it's going to be very difficult for them to do the whole um, sitting up straight, meditation cross leg, trying to focus their, like do that one pointed focus for the next one hour. I'm like, that's going to be impossible for you. I try in a nice way I explain to them that because I'm like, we need to downplay your nervous system. We need to work with what's biologically, physiologically going on in your body just now. And that is a lot of cortisol, a lot of adrenaline. And um, yeah, you need to relax. So I generally work with them um, from a yogic perspective first, like movement. Um, and then we will probably move into um, what I'm trained in is uh, yoga nidra meditation, where um, it's very, very focused on relaxation, sleep, and um, so that by the end of it, there most of the clients that come into me in one hour, I can get them fast asleep on the mat in about ten minutes at the end, which they find amazing. They're like, "Wow, I fell asleep there. I'm sorry." And I'm like, "No, you were meant to <laughs> fall asleep." Can we talk a little bit about that? So uh, maybe explain a little bit about yoga nidra for those who are listening and don't know what yoga nidra is, uh, and also the importance of sleep in a yoga nidra practice or you know, even in, um, I'm going to use sound bowl as an example. People are like, so I'm going to just be sleeping on the floor while somebody is hitting this bowl and making some noises. Like, why am I spending money on that? Right? <laughs> like, like, we laugh because we love it. <laughs> Other well, right, like, but, uh, exactly. But I, 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 you know, I want you to enlighten some listeners who might not know what this is and the importance of it. <laughs> Sure, sure. So first of all, you know, yoga nidra meditation um, and 
I think most 200 hour teacher training programs have some form of yoga nidra, maybe like as a, you know, maybe there's a 20 minute section in a 200 hour class, right? On what is yoga nidra, right? And you get to experience it once and then you like it or you don't like it. And there you go. I, um, I had that experience. So I really enjoyed yoga nidra during my 200 hour teacher training. But as you know, we don't really dive deep into any aspect of yoga, right? It's a very on the surface training. You're a yoga teacher. And then it's like, now what, right? Like there's thousands of us out there doing the same thing. Um, and But you don't really get a true understanding of everything that you've learned. But I started teaching Yoga Nidra. And you mentioned the company Hasako, which I co-founded with a, a friend in Singapore um, five years ago. And we brought Yoga Nidra into our program. So we split up our um, program to include a 20-minute yoga nidra at the end. And the reason for that was, is that it was, we were really focused upon, I guess, the, the, the market that is stressed and burned out and very tired, you know, in Singapore, right? We, we work very long hours and maybe you don't have a great well-being schedule or plan. So that was our, our, our focus. And yoga nidra is deeply, deeply restorative for the mind and body. And after those classes, and this is what drove me to train in yoga nidra specifically. So after those classes, I would have people come up to me and they would be like, what did you just do to me? Like they've never meditated in their life. They're freaking out that there's 20 minutes of meditation in this class. They're like, you know, and they are sound asleep. They're completely gone. Uh, during this last 20 minutes and and some of those people actually had insomnia and one lady had ADHD she was finding it really difficult to to manage like focus and meditation another um, lady was going through a bipolar episode so she was feeling like mania and so she was trying to um, use this class to you know help help you know manage and regulate herself and always seek a medical you know, advice before you start a yoga nidra practice. Like, don't just listen to me and say that, right? If you do have a mental health problem that's medical, please, medically diagnosed, please, please also speak to your medical practitioner as well. But that, those kind of people coming back to, back to me after the class, I, I decided that I really wanted to focus on a mental and emotional aspect of yoga. And then I also wanted to dive deeper in how was this yoga nidra practice working with people? Like, I was so shocked. I was like, wow, it's really working. So I trained with, um, I did a lot of research and I trained with an institute based here in the US called IREST. Um, I did my training in Australia and Canada. Um, and IREST uh, was founded by a, a yogic scholar and psychologist. So he integrated um, psychological tools along with yoga nidra, the ancient practice of yoga nidra meditation, um, and created iRest. And I guess what it's most prevalent for here in the US is really that um, stress and trauma, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma-related sleep disorders, pain. The US military actually use it as a complementary therapy to other um, practices for PTSD and trauma and for veterans. So, and there's clinical studies on this as well. And so for me, that was a massive game changer in my teaching my philosophy, my thinking about um, meditation and, and bringing it um, to my clients. And uh, I guess you could also call it, you said the sleep aspect as well. You could call it like yogic sleep because it's done in that nice lying down position and Shavasana, if you know what that is, it's lying down on your back 
and you just drift off to this wonderful place. Um, it's almost like you're drifting on a cloud. It's so relaxing. And then it's very, very gentle, but it's very, very powerful for your mind and body. Oh, I can, I feel like I'm so relaxed now after listening to you say all this. Like I was going to like sleep. No, you need to go back and listen to it. And then you want to I it. know. Well, speaking of listening, uh, Davina also has an Insight Timer channel. So I'm going to put that in the links afterwards as well. And people can follow if they would like to listen to your Insight Timer Yoga Nidra session. Uh, I we, we are coming short on time, but I, I do have... Uh, a few more questions. One is, can you share with us a little bit about how, you know, meditation has grown in this last decade, especially during the pandemic? Uh, and how, I mean, and you're probably seeing this now that you've moved out of Singapore and now you're in the US, but how meditation is brought into the medical field as well as, a, you know, like, or, or kind of like what you were saying earlier, see, seek your therapist and your professional uh, counsel before you come in uh, for a session. How do those two entities kind of talk to each other? Okay. Because so more, more and more professionals, are, uh, medical professionals are suggesting their clients to go try a yoga class or go try, you know, a meditation course. And, how do these two like work together? I suppose, like you know, are, are they suggesting the right? Uh, you know, it's easy to say yes, you should go try yoga or go try a meditation class, but are they actually providing resources for clients uh, in that proper way? Right, like they've like sussed out which you know yoga studios they should go check out or which instructor they should go um, seek. Yeah. Uh, so the first question is, how do I think the meditation industry has changed over the last ten years? And I think. The biggest uh, industry game changer in this field is happening now on technology. And technology, I mean, you know, right, past 10 years, technology is just like, you know, controlling our lives at one point, you know, that, that's also making us stressed and burn out much quicker than we, than we used to. But it, it can also be used for good. Um, and so uh, when I was... Um, on our Wisdom 2.0 technology conference just a few weeks ago, um, there were lots and lots of people talking about different solutions on how do you, um, bringing meditation, I guess, to the masses, right? Because over the last 20 years, you know, it's kind of gone from that, you do meditation in the Himalayan caves with a monk to being, I can do it on my app, on an app with, um, on my phone. But the next level of that, right, on the, you know, the headspace is super famous now and cam is as well and they're raising lots of money. But I think the next phase is two things. One is um, bringing it deeper, right, to a much deeper level, right, to use yoga and meditation to overcome trauma or adverse child experiences and really give people those breakthrough moments that yoga and meditation can deliver I think is one area and technology can support that right as well um, and I think we've seen in the last 18 months two years you know the amount of I guess mental health um, platforms resources um, the ability to speak to a therapist online to book you know yoga and meditation teachers in this field online you could be living in you know the suburbs you know 300 miles away from the closest iRest or yoga therapist and still do a Zoom session, right? How amazing is that that you don't need to travel now 
to to have access to to people with these amazing skills, right? To help you and support you. The other thing that I'm working on, which I think is super interesting um, and is very related to uh, I, um, yoga nidra meditation and sleep, is um, I'm working with a Singapore company called Neuro on um, biofeedback, right? So EEG headband that is focused on kind of you know measuring people's progress during the meditation as they move from that beta waking state where we most most of us spend all of our time down into the alpha state which is very very creative into the theta state which is that dream like space into the delta space which is deeply restorative and healing so i'm um, working with the providing them meditations for that um, working with them on 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 data and really focusing on how can we get people into that relaxation response super quickly right rather than rather than them trying this five-year experiment on am I meditating right or not um, that, I, that I, I put myself through um, as well. And then the second question was on the kind of medical profession. Um, you know, I think the US, like you said, is much more open to uh, bringing meditation and yoga. It's a much more advanced uh, place to be. You know, there's a lot of yoga therapists, iris teachers here um, who, are, who are doing amazing work. Are, they, are the medical professionals sending people to the right resources? I don't think they know what the right resources are yet. I think the medical professionals still are, you know, unless they're practicing themselves and they've been through it or they have someone very close to them, like a direct family member, there's still a big question mark, right? They don't know how to pigeonhole this entire space. They do tell, I guess, their customers or clients, like, please go and meditate, but you know, can they point them to the right person? Probably not, I would say. I think we're still a bit far away from that. But I I do think that the world will move towards um, complementary medicine in a big way in the next 10, 20 years. Like whether it's stuff we do or whether it's the energy healing side, I think that's just about to really take off now. It's this huge. Yeah, and we talked about we talked about this last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Um, okay, so before we close off, uh, is there anything you wanted to share with uh, the listeners who are listening to this episode before we? Uh, that's a very good Do I want to share? <laughs> I guess, you know, if you're in a really difficult space, you know, and and you've been there and I've been there and we've been through a lot of um, healing, um, but that um, that meant that, you know, we also had to go through pain, right? Pain and healing kind of are the opposites of the this, this, this framework, right? Is that, you know, the tools and resources are there. There are people out there who can support you. You're not alone. And I think if anything in the last 18 months, the only silver lining of this pandemic is the fact that there's no need to be ashamed or embarrassed about having um, a mental health, you know, issue, whether it's from trauma as a child or whether it is um, through, you know, anxiety and stress that you're experiencing at work or maybe you're feeling depressed. You know, this is not, uh, I've never seen this before, like in the past 18 months, literally, how open people have been to speaking about their experiences, how much mental health has moved up the priority list for companies and organizations, and even in, in political systems, like it's amazing. And I think it, I think the pandemic has definitely heightened people's mental health issues, 
but I don't think that they were not there before. It's just that they weren't out in the open. So I think yes, the, the pandemic was a therapist. They opened the Pandora box for mental yeah. health. that's a great analogy it's open the Pandora box to what's going on here and so I think collectively we have a lot of healing to do and I'm glad that you're here doing that I'm here all of your um, previous podcast uh, interviewees are doing that you know there are people here who who want to support you yeah Oh, that's so beautifully said. Okay, well, I will add all your links below so people can follow you on social. They can sign up for your offerings online. Um, they can seek you out if they live in Philadelphia. And we will keep in touch. Yes, great. Thanks so much for uh, interviewing me today, Jen. It's been great talking to you. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.